The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. Lady Love. Hello. So did I tell you the weird fun fact that I learned recently? No. Did you know that a horse's penis while erect is anywhere from 26 to 32 inches long? Oh, you didn't tell me that you knew that, but I kind of, I did know that. I knew that. It, uh, how did you know this? Because I'm very confused on how, like mine came up in a weird way, but like, I feel like yours is probably a better story. No, I also know mine in a weird way. <laughs> for some reason, um, for the first time, I think it was like back in school when I heard of like people fucking animals, bestiality. It was like a girl fucking a horse or a horse fucking a girl. I don't really know which way that goes. And I'm like, that's weird. And they're like, horses have huge dicks. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah. Well, they're huge even by just like any standard, like body wise. Like if you think about it, if the average maximum size is 32, which means that there's probably bigger 32 inches. Like that's like almost a yard. Like that's. A lot of dick. Is a female horse a horse set or just another horse? <laughs> I, don't know. I, 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 I bet the horse sets are, are happy. <laughs> I mean, it depends. I feel like every animal in the animal kingdom, it's like the female is running away and then it's more like rape. <laughs> oh, oh, they never seem thrilled way. about it though. They don't. Have you ever heard two cats going at it? No. That cat is that cat is not happy. No. About- <laughs> well, because cats have spiky dicks. Oh, they do. I had to dissect one. They yeah. have spiky yeah. dicks. Barbed, barbed Why dick in their face backwards. Then why do cats have what's the spiky dick thing? It's so that they the female cat can't run away. The barbs like stick into its body and hook. So like even if she's running, she can't go anywhere. Oh, whoa! I like, did not know that. And like evolutionarily, too, the way it tears back on it, it increases the chances of like like actual conception because yeah. it inflames afterward. It makes it harder for the little guys to get back out. It's me. Yeah, ah. I know we're not about this. Like, <laughs> I, Wait, I check the thing. I get like, I'm looking. You know way a lot more weirder facts than I thought. This is all I'm learning. And also now I know that cats have spiky dicks. Yeah. Did you know that ducks have corkscrew dicks? No. Yeah. Real curvy. Yeah. Real wiggly looking. Yeah. I can't figure out why. You guys know a lot about animal dicks. <laughs> I didn't know any this much about animal dicks until I was saying it out loud. You, know? yeah. you guys should do a segment. I'm not to know. No, no. no. I, I didn't even want to be the cannibal guy, let alone the dick guy. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be like it'll be like Animal Planet. It's informative. It'll be like I don't know. Joe Joe Cox Plains. Cox Plains. <laughs> like the way shittier version of man. Yeah. Let me explain this to you in penis terms here. Hold on. <laughs> you know, that's what we'll do is I'll measure all of our distances in today's episode in horse cocks. Yeah. What's that? Like just shy of the yard at that point? I could probably work that out. I feel like that, I feel like that would definitely work. No, but like, not doing it. Like the only reason I even know about the horse stick though is because me, Joseph and Joe, we were all standing there talking and Joseph has literally just recently seen the video of the guy that is like letting a horse fuck him in the ass. And like his friend was supposed to be like holding the horse back, which I feel like you should have came up with a better plan. Cause like, you know, a, a person holding a gigantic horse back is not going to really be 
best thing. But um, the horse got away and then like just straight like rammed this dude and killed him. Like <gasps> he literally he fucking right Yeah. Well, dude, that thing's like practically poking out his damn throat at that point. I like, know. Oh, oh my! Especially God. in the spot where it's definitely not supposed to go. Especially not something that big. Like I've pooped pretty large, but not that big. Like that's dude. a lot. Well, you work at a hospital. You know, they take weird ass shit out of people all the time. Yeah. Cucumbers getting stuck. Wait, did you just say figure. a cucumber? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What? Look it up, dude. Look, go on Google for two seconds and look up like surgical extractions of cucumbers from people. Who puts a cucumber inside of them? Like they literally sell dildos at the mall. This dude, you can order it online, discreet packaging. Like nobody even needs to know you're getting it. You don't even have to go to the mall. You can just drive down the street. There's like a fucking porn shop on every corner, I feel like. Which makes me think somebody's just out there having a cucumber fetish. Like if you have all these other ways of doing it. <laughs> at a certain point, you just got like a veggie thing going on. Maybe watch too much veggie tales, kid. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but what amazes me about this is like a cucumber is pretty hefty. Like it's like tough. You, know? you can you have the mini cucumbers. Who would you need? Who's gonna use a mini cucumber? Like, or you have the cucumber, which is like a long, a long cucumber. Yeah, but like, how are you gonna like? How does it break? Albert Fish was fucking himself in the ass with a hot dog that was like six months old, and that thing oh, was still full. I'd forgotten about the hot dog. Jesus. <laughs> oh my god! I heard about a guy who um, they called nine one one. I don't know what he was doing. I think he was like choking himself and doing something with a poker stick. And he ended up kind of passing out and the poker stick kind of went up his ass and through his lung and out his collarbone. And yeah, he was in the ICU. I found this oh, don't wait, break. he lived? Yeah, he was all right. He I don't know if he was all right. <laughs> I mean, look at what he was doing. I don't know if he was all right before that, but all right. <laughs> so wait, he was he was scarfing it too. He was doing the autoerotic thing. So he was like yeah. hanging himself and he's got the poker up his ass. I think so. Yeah, that's. How, I think that's how it was told to me from what I remember. And there was a story back home about, a, I think it was a PA or an NP. He used to see people at like immediate care. And there was a guy who came. He said that he would take things out of people all the time. And one of the things was a brown marker that a, <laughs> that a guy shoved up his ass. <laughs> and he shoved the color brown just because... It goes where brown goes. I was thinking it was like a white marker when he put it in there. I didn't think it was literally going to be brown. It was a brown colored marker. Yeah. He just, shoot. You know, tie a string to it. How hard is that to think of? Like, yeah. It puts something, anything. So, like, there's got to be a better way to do this. I, put it in a condom, tie that onto a, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, or, or, like, call me crazy. Don't put a cucumber or a marker or a, Fucking action figure, whatever else people are putting up their asses, up your ass. Yeah, like you can literally go to the store. You can buy whatever you want that literally goes up there. Things designed for that. There's a plethora of shit designed. And for they're that. all different shapes and sizes. It's not like you have to have like one specific size. You can do whatever you want. When we went, I seen like the biggest dick in the world, like literally the biggest dick I had ever seen when we went to Pandora's box. Do you remember that like crazy size one? It was like fucking this big. It was insane. I was like, who in the world would use this? And how? How do you I like be for comedic effect at that point? Just put it on the rack just for like, yeah, you know, what the fuck? Who's <laughs> but it was it was like I don't even know how to express how large it was. It was 
<laughs> it was obnoxious. That's what it was. Like it probably could have doubled as like a street light. Like it was just so big. That's almost four horse cocks. Wow. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's funny. Oh my God. Well, I'm Courtney. And I'm Kat. And I'm Joe. <laughs> and this is Mining with Grimes and Cat Monzo Mine. This time Joe got in on it. I did. Yes. So I have to pay penance for my fuck up at the last at the end of the last show because I got called out on it at the the very end of not well not the last show my last show that I was on I made mention of a Venezuelan soccer team being involved in a plane crash in like 2007. Was it Brazilian? No, they were Uruguayan, um, and it was 1972. I was basically way off on every single aspect of this case. (laughs) So to correct the record, Uruguayan rugby team, not a soccer team. It was in 1972, but we'll get to all that. Okay. But yeah, I called out. This girl was pissed the fuck off. Who called you? What's up, Joe? uh, That's great. (laughs) I'm like, how would you like those? Fantastic. But one thing I'm like, oh, and I immediately knew what it was too. She had that look like she's about to crack me on some shit. And she laid the fuck into me. like fucking. I knew that was going to come back to haunt me the second I said it. So wow. that's that's my official apology. My facts were fucked up, but we're on it this time. Oh, okay. I got cliff notes. I got sources. Yeah, I got little numbers down the bottom of the corner of the screen. We're good. Yeah. Oh my god. I'm trying to think of themes that I can like. I want to do a theme, and I think I have one, but I'm going to fester on it because I want it to be good. <laughs> fester on it. I like that. Well. <laughs> I'm marinating. It's hard to like continuously talk. Yeah, fester. I gotta like let my brain. Lady Love, we have continuously talked. We continuously talked about an easy bake oven last week. Like what? Yeah, last week when we were recording. I don't even know how it happened, but we went from that deep throat song to easy bake ovens to then like drunk stories about friends. I don't even know how it happened, but it didn't make sense. But yeah, I mean, I guess sometimes we just don't make sense. (laughs) <laughs> when I was listening to it too, I was like, I don't know if anybody's going to listen to this because I don't know if they're going to make any sense of this. Yeah, there's a chance that there wasn't. And you know, after we got off the phone, I was like, hmm. it was more of just us talking. Yeah. <laughs> I literally had to cut out like a solid 45 minutes of our conversations because it's like us talking about our schedules and like oh. when you're coming in and our plans for your weekend here. Like, <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. I cut it down to like an hour and 20 minutes, though, instead of like the three hours. Oh, whoa, what the fuck? Teeny little flies been zipped around this whole time. I didn't want to be the one to do it. I was positive I was going to smack the mic. But yeah, no. It must have looked like she slapped me in the face, though. <laughs> <laughs> was aggressive. That was a hard clap. I was like, oh, whoa. <laughs> you got to follow through. If you're going to catch a fly, you got to. Like right on it. She got him. I did. You did? I'm good at this, Lady Love. I'm like a ninja. We had a Venus flytrap for a little bit. And let me tell you, all the flies it got, I caught. <laughs> Dude, they're lazy. They don't do half the job I thought they were going to no, do. No, they don't. They stand there. They're the, literally, they just stand there with their mouths open and then they hope something happens. I played Mario for like 
eight years of my life watching those little fuckers pop out of the tubes. And we got that plant and not once did one of those little things spit a fireball out of its mouth. <laughs> and I was waiting the whole damn time for it. They suck. They're, they're just not what you think they're going to be. <laughs> False advertisement. So they don't, they don't open, they don't close their mouths immediately after you put a fly in it. They do close they their mouths. Do. Yeah. It's um, they got to touch so many hairs inside of its little mouth. And then they, uh, what's the opposite of a yawn? Like that speed. They just sort of. Yeah. Uh, Okay. It's, it's definitely not very fast. I thought it was going to be way more dramatic. Like yeah. I had, I had tweezers and I was like putting the fly near it. And I was like waiting. I was like worried. I was, it was going to like, you know, <laughs> jump up and snap your finger. Yeah. And like nothing happened. I was like, what? This is some Audrey trash. Just like <laughs> definitely not yeah. Audrey too. Eventually it just closes then. Yeah. Just like, hmm. oh, and then I thought like, I don't know. I, I thought I was going to see something happen and it was just like, Nothing. Good to know. Not gonna buy one. I, I was so close to it. Yeah. And they're just annoying because they they're finicky. Yeah. Yeah, they gotta want real specific soil conditions and they have to eat so often. And my oh. body like goes as far as like checking the pH of the soil, like routinely doing the whole thing. Yeah, no, Not mine died much. very quickly. Mm, some of these bitches are looking rough because she doesn't live next to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that happened. I know. I used to like go upstairs and I would just kind of check around, especially if she had like a Couple days in a row, I knew she wasn't going to remember to water her plants. So oh, I'd go upstairs and just, you know, they lived, they survived, they made it all the way to Tulsa. They did. <laughs> well, when they were crispy and then suddenly flourished. <laughs> it works. And the watering bulbs help. Ever since I got those things, my plants are definitely living much longer. <laughs> I'm going to have to try one of those. I've been putting it off. It felt like cheating. No, it's, it's oh. so worth it. It's literally the best thing I ever bought. Just jam a little sucker in there and they just, Yep. And it just water as you need it. Like, cause I never know how much to put in. I'm like one of those people where I think like, Oh, it's probably a little dry. And then I, no, nah, no, I always end up overwatering. So who are we eating today? I know. Yeah. We're eating a shitload of people today. Actually. I don't think quite as bad as the Donner party. In fact, no, not nearly as bad as the Donner party, but it's still a pretty fucked up situation we were dealing with. I like, they're eating fucking human popsicles. That's what they're doing. I would rather the human popsicle than a cooked human after oh. a lot more thought on the matter. I don't want to, though. Can you imagine, like, a frozen yeah. human? I like sushi in almost every instance better than I like cooked fish. Yeah, but, like, fish is totally a different texture than, like, a frozen human. I mean, if you thought out a little bit, I mean, there's got to be parts that are similar. I, I mean, it's still... I mean, in any case, what we're dealing with here is a plane crash up in the Andes Mountains. Uh, we left off talking about Donner Pass, which was at about, I think, 11,000 feet up in the Sierra Nevada Mountains. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, yeah, somewhere around there. These mountains are getting up in like the 15,000 foot mark, somewhere in there. So we're dealing with like ultra cold temperatures, ultra severe environment, like constant storms, blizzards. This is like a way, way more harsh survival environment. Oh, yeah. They love this shit is fucked up, like fucked up. And it starts off with probably the most action movie sounding plane crash I've ever read about in my life. I mean, Uh, cannibalism aside, survival story aside, this is sounds like the most insane thing that you could go through. Like anything a person could experience. This week, we're discussing the Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571, better known as Miracle Flight 571, which I can't believe they called it miracle flight because these bitches, it wasn't a miracle. They fucking struggle bus to survive. Like there was no miracles about it. 
these motherfuckers actually got hit with all of the shit you could possibly imagine, plus some more. But it was a chartered flight heading to Santiago, Chile from Montevideo, Uh Uruguay, that crashed high in the Andes Mountains in 1972. Members of an amateur old Christian club rugby union team from Montevideo, Uruguay, were scheduled to play a match against an English rugby team in Santiago, Chile called the Old Boys Club. Which I feel like that's pretty far to go for like an amateur rugby team. They take that shit really seriously, though. Like that's I mean, that's got to be like a college football game of the South. They go hard on that. Yeah, because like in England, isn't it huge? If they're playing an English team, they better be some hardcore motherfuckers. <laughs> I know. Like, I remember that one episode of Friends with when Ross tries to play rugby with like a bunch of British people. And it's literally the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Poor Ross gets like thrown. He's got like a black eye. I'm pretty sure he was missing a tooth. Like it was a lot. Ross! They're doing that to him. I told them to go easy on him. No offense, but you know, sometimes it's hard to understand you, you know, with the accent. But uh, <laughs> I thought you got that. I, oh, I got that. Was two. I got them both. <laughs> so they had to fly across like an enormous mountain range, though. You're right. It's a crazy distance to have to travel. And these mountains are flat, remote. Like there's nothing, there's no roads going through here. There's barely any trails. If there are trails, they're probably not accessible during the winter. So they're pretty much flying over the most, one of the most remote parts of South America outside of the jungle. Yeah. Literally the worst place possible. You could crash a plane. That's where they were. Wow. (laughs) The flight that they were taking to get to this game left Karasaka International Airport on October 12th, 1972. But a storm front had rolled in over the Andes, which led to them needing to stop overnight in Mendoza, Argentina. The flight path for this trip was about 600 kilometers or 370 miles altogether. They would follow a 90-minute U-shaped route from Mendoza South to... How do you say that word? I don't know. What does it mean when there's like two dots over the U, Lady Love? Oh, an umlaut? Is it, is it, do they do it like German? I don't think so. I don't know. Unless... Is it, is it supposed to be like a Portuguese? Wait. Yeah, it's got to be Portuguese. Yeah, I don't, it's not a Spanish thing. I'm going to go with Malargue. Okay, that sounds about right. Using the A7 airway, known today as the UW44, which I, st- I don't know what that means, so I don't even know why I put that in. But <laughs> they would then head west via the G17 or UB684 airway, crossing Planchon to the Curico radio beacon in Chile. And finally, from there, they would fly north to Santiago. There was a shorter direct path to the destination that was about 200 kilometers or 120 miles altogether to the west, but the route was very risky for the type of plane that they were flying and would come too close to its operational limits due to how high above the mountains the flight path was. The maximum like height for the plane was, I think, 28,000 feet, and like they would have to fly 26,000 feet above plus They'd have to be careful about like gas and shit, because obviously the higher you fly, the more gas that you use. So mm-hmm. it was just normal to take the longer route okay. around. The next morning, the weather still hadn't cleared up much, but was supposed to get better by the early afternoon. So on Friday, October 13th, 1972, 
At about 2.18 p.m., the Fairchild FH-227D left Mendoza heading southwards towards Malargway. I don't remember. I think I said Malargway <laughs> radio beacon at a flight level of 18,000 feet, flying over the Andes Mountains in shitty weather. It was carrying 40 to 45 passengers and crew, including the 19-member Old Christians Club rugby union team, along with their families and friends, and a woman named Grazella, Graziella Mariani, who bought a seat after a last-minute cancellation so that she could attend her oldest daughter's wedding. Oh, so she, she just hitched a ride on there. Yeah, so she... <laughs> Entire rugby team, and then this one lady just going to go to a wedding. I mean... Sweet, fine, but like, man, did that end up being the worst mistake she's ever made. <laughs> yeah, most definitely, especially on a Friday the 13th, maybe. Oh, was it a Friday the 13th? Yeah, it was... Wow, hey, you're right. October 13th. Well, like damn, another one motherfucker if ever superstition is held true holy shit so this i was reading through it it looks like the co-pilot was flying for this one which i'm sure he was good at it but i just i can't help but wonder if that contri- it seems like it was mostly the weather that contributed to them going down oh no the co-pilot was trash was he he, was he didn't trash. navigate correctly. They couldn't see, so they had to use what's called dead reckoning where you basically i know a fixed point i know like this mountain peak is here and I'm moving this fast in this direction. So based on that, I must be in this location. Ooh. But he wasn't taking into account some of the drift of the aircraft, the way the wind patterns were throwing him off his heading, um, and the way it also affected the altitude. So while he couldn't see what he was doing up there, he was dropping lower than he expected to be. And he actually ended up descending lower than he should have because he thought he was closer to the airport. So he didn't know how to do his job. He was actually in training. Actual pilot. Oh, he my was- God. Where was the pilot? So, oh, he was there. He was chilling. Colonel Julio. <laughs> so, Colonel Julio Cesar Ferradas was an experienced Air Force pilot who had a total of 5,117 flying hours and had flown over the Andes 29 times prior to this flight. Mm-hmm. He was working with a co pilot, Lieutenant Colonel Dante Hector Laguara. Grarara. Right. <laughs> Like Rara. How many like, Ra's are in there? There's two Ra's and it's fucking me up. Like Rara. Dante was very new to the job and was still in training. He was the pilot actually flying the aircraft. Co-pilot Dante radioed to Malargue Airport with their position and told them that they would reach 2,515 meters or 8,251 feet high in Planchon Pass at 321 p.m. Planchon Pass is the air traffic control handoff point from one side of the Andes to the other with controllers in Mendoza transferring flight tracking duties over to Parajuela. Our Portuguese sucks. Yeah, I'm not really good. I'm not even good at pronouncing Spanish words sometimes. I'm fine with Spanish. I didn't know it was that much different. Well, Portuguese is like super different, right? I guess different enough. I can't read any of this shit. I know. (laughs) Guadalajara Air Traffic Control in Santiago, Chile. Once they got across the mountains in Chile, south of Carrico, the plane was supposed to turn north and begin its descent into Guadalajara Airport in Santiago. But fun fact, this particular aircraft, the FAU-571, was only four years old and had 792 airframe hours. The aircraft was said to have been very underpowered by some pilots and had been nicknamed the Lead Sled. Damn. 
Yeah, like, why are you going to fly a plane that's trash? Like, but at the very least, why are you going to train in the shitty plane? Like, why, why are you letting this kid go out there and learn how to fly over the Andes mountain range in the okay-ish plane? Yeah, they're just like, hey, you got to do it sometime, kid. Mm-hmm. Start now. That's fucked up. <laughs> so because the weather they were flying in was shitty, the pilots were using an instrument to tell them where they were at an altitude of 18,000 feet. But they could not visually confirm their location and were mainly relying on radio navigation. The aircraft's VOR-DEM instrument gave the pilot a digital reading of the distance to the next radio beacon in Curico. So a VOR-DEM is a radio beacon that combines a VHF omnidirectional range with a distance measuring equipment, which is the DME, The VOR allows the receiver to measure its bearing to or from the beacon, while the DEM provides the slant distance between the receiver and the station. So together, the two measurements allow the receiver to compute a position. So basically, it's like in a straight line, how far are you? And then at an angle, how far are you? Almost like in geometry, how you need like... like So it would give... general. Yeah, it would give like a general estimate of where you are. Okay. It is pretty accurate when you do it right, too, at least over short distances. The longer you keep flying, though, the shittier it's going to get because you got to keep factoring in the things that you can't tell the plane's doing. Yeah. Rising, falling, drifting off to a side, any number of different things. So that's how you end up being off from where you think you are. So once they hit the Planchon Pass, the aircraft still had to travel 60 to 70 kilometers or 37 to 43 miles to get to Curico. At 3.21 p.m., shortly after transiting the pass, Dante called the Santiago air traffic controllers and told them that he expected to reach Curico in one minute. The flight time from the Planchon Pass to Curico is normally 11 minutes, Mm -hmm. but only three minutes later, the pilot told Santiago air traffic control that they were passing Curico and turning north. So this motherfucker just didn't wait long enough. It was supposed to be an 11 minute minute distance and he only waited three minutes. Like that's a large distance, especially in a plane. Yeah. So he then asked for permission to begin descent. And the controller in Santiago was unaware that the flight was still actually over the Andes because at this point they were also switching towers. So the guy that was at the other one who would have been able to actually tell where they were because he could tell where they had been Mm -hmm. was not the one that he was speaking to. Oh, and communication. Yeah. And it's like, where's this other dude? Like, aren't you supposed to, where's your timer or something? Like, hey, three minutes and 11 minutes. Like, I mean, they're way up on the mountains. I wonder if there's like a section where they lose signal, like a big dead zone where like, all right, you're on your own until you get back over here at like the other side of that pass. I think that's exactly what it, what it was. That sucks. So because he was unaware of where they were, um, he authorized him to descend to 11,500 feet or 3,500 meters. Later analysis of their flight path showed that the pilot had completely fucked up. Not only did he turn too early, but he also turned on a heading of 014 degrees when he should have turned to 030 degrees. So that's also a large distance. It kind of blows my mind that they're able to to determine exactly like down to the little degree measurements, little distances, exactly what fucked up after the fact. Well, because if they can basically like project where it was going to be based on where it landed, especially because it was like scattered all over the mountain. It makes it, you can watch the debris. Yeah. The trail of debris after it. It's just, I think it's nuts that they figured that much out afterward. 
But yeah, that is crazy. But either way, pilot guy fucked up. Big time. Oh, wait. Fuck, we did it again. We totally didn't even talk about what we're drinking. Uh, you know what? They were they were joking. He was. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. The drink. I thought you were talking about the pilot drinking. Yeah, no. Fuck. Oh, we can cut it in, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. It's okay. Sorry, guys. We're going to pause real quick. So. <laughs> Build up little... all that tension. Whoops. <laughs> That's funny. I'm literally looking at them and I'm like, huh. What are these here for? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing, good lady love? So for sake of time and everything, I just grabbed what I had in the fridge and we had Modelo. <laughs> nice, um, nice. I feel yeah. like all you drink yeah. now is like Modelo or Dos Equis. Modelo's good. Yeah, no, you know, I don't know how I feel about the Dos Equis now. I like that I can drink them and not feel bloated but also they're like four percent alcohol what am i a toddler I know. That. i'm a man <laughs> more than four percent i think those actually just like rusty coins though at least compared to i, I think modelo's mom modelo's like perfect it's all right you know it's nice to get beer okay so joe actually bought two sour beers we're going to mix it up a little bit, do something weird with it. Not technically a wine, but a nice in-between. I'm going to give you yes. a dry one because I feel like you like dry better. I do like dry better. And this, I guess it's still a brewery. Yeah, they're still brewing it like beer. So Grim uh, with two M's. The brewer is insanely good and I cannot recommend their beers enough. I don't know where the fuck they're from, but... They look like they do drugs. Like it's a pretty trippy label. Oh, they 100% do drugs. There's like a rainbow on every single one of these labels here. A lot of psychedelic shit, a lot of repeating patterns. Yeah, they definitely... Yeah, they know what they're doing. It looks like they've got like a Dungeons and Dragons cube on there, which is definitely more of like a sacred geometry thing. But, you know, people 12 like sided die. They're just nerds. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so cute. and mine is pineapple cherry smash by Westbrook Brewing Co. They're out of oh, South Carolina. So They're pretty good. close to Charleston. So it's a sour ale brewed with natural flavors. One pint, 5% alcohol. Ooh. Mine is a dry hop sour ale. It's called telekinesis. I don't think they actually use telekinesis to brew it, but it's 5%. And I've actually had it three times. So I already know what's good. <laughs> what percentage this is? Better be some mad shit. Oh, that's actually good. I'm not really a beer person. Like this one is probably more ear switch. Okay. Because I got to try that now. I've never tried this one. Is it sweet? Oh, this one's not bad either. Yours is good. Yours is more like candy-ish it's more like fruity and yeah. sour and you can taste more of the fruit in there mine tastes like more of a beer yeah it does which i like yeah i'm more of like not a beer person <laughs> See, that's why i was hoping that would end up being good oh yeah no this is definitely the tits and it's cute it's like a pink <laughs> label with like pineapples and shit on it that is awesome oh it's so cute <laughs> <laughs> my dude's spinning the dice with his hand he's got his nails done real nice Ooh, fancy i love it and self-care is always great Exactly. Man, I wish I had nice breweries to buy from. Except they don't. People just get stabbed and murdered here. No, well, you got no breweries over there? There's got to be some kind of brewery in town. Well, well not one that I, I don't know. I don't know. I Maybe. Oh, I'm sure there is probably a hippy-dippy one. Those are the good ones. Those ones you got to watch for. I should look up some breweries. They usually they got bomb food at the very least. Of that. There's two oh. more flies. And I don't strike until i know for sure i can catch it so i'm not doing it i'm gonna hit the microphone i guarantee it 
I'm just I'm just waiting for them to come near me again so I can fuck these little flies up. Oh shit. <laughs> Damn, dude, you are three for three. This is wild. Every time. I'm waiting for like an achievement to pop up on screen. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I should. My Fitbit should like count that on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So we'll rewind and uh Oh, we're at the action movie part. I've been Dude, I've been ready for this for like two weeks now. It's like the most exciting read I've had in weeks. So the dudes were joking around about it. Like, but as the plane started going down, the first little bit of turbulence they hit, like some of the dudes were laughing. They're like, oh, no, man, this is kind of cool. And then somebody noticed like, hey, those mountains in front of us are growing. It's like, <laughs> I don't think mountains typically grow. So I think we might be sinking. And they were definitely sinking and they were sinking fast as shit. It had something to do with that operational ceiling they talked about with the aircraft. At a certain height, it just simply cannot fly any higher. And then, like he had said before, too, he had already started descending, too. So it's not like he can just pull right back up. I mean, there's not that much air up there. So he can pull back all he wants. The momentum of that plane going down is going to keep sucking it down. So once they figured out what was going on, the aircraft alarm had started going off. Um, Everybody on board was pretty sure this thing was going to crash. They didn't have a whole lot of time to actually recover it. Um, it was starting to stall and shake as he pulled up, meaning they just didn't have the pull they needed to to actually keep it going. The pilot applied maximum pressure in an attempt to gain altitude. Some of the witness accounts and the evidence at the scene indicated the plane struck either two or three times against the mountain. The pilot was still able to bring the aircraft nose over the ridge and pull it up over that one specific mountain. But at 334, the lower part of the tail cone, they think probably clipped to the ridge and that would have been at about 13,800 feet altitude. That's, that's pretty high. Oh, yeah. They're fucked. This is like the absolute worst place you can have any kind of aircraft disaster. You just can't recover from it. The next collision severed the entire right wing. The tail comb was ripped off entirely and took with it the rear portion of the fuselage, including two rows of seats in the rear section of the cabin. This was a full flight. So it didn't just take seats. It ripped these guys right out of the cabin with it. Um, which that's got to be the worst. I wonder if you like would die of a heart attack before you even hit the ground. Oh no. I think you know about it. I mean, unless like it pulls you hard enough, to, like snap your neck to the side and maybe Ooh. it like breaks your neck and kill it. I think you're getting sucked out pretty fast though. I mean, this, this thing was moving. No, I know. But I'm saying like, after you're sucked out before you hit the ground, do you think you die of a heart attack? I fucking hope I die of a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, depending on how bad a shape you are, that kind of stress. Yeah, your heart might strain, and you might be lucky enough to die of a massive heart attack. <laughs> That's like my worst nightmare. I've had that. I've literally had that nightmare—the falling out of a plane, the yeah. falling off a bridge. I hate the sensation. Really? Of like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That is like worst case scenario for me. <laughs> That's why I can't I even do roller coasters. I'm like, oh no, I hate that feeling of like my stomach falling out of my ass. It just doesn't work for me. <laughs> but there's actually a dude. Like we find out later that one of the guys did actually survive getting ripped out of the plane, but he ended up being hurt so bad that he couldn't move and he was asphyxiated by the snow. It, <gasps> it snowed so hard it crushed him. Yeah. Oh no. Suffocated him, man. Like this is no miracle flight. I'm I'm like offended that these motherfuckers call it miracle flight, whatever. That was fucked up. Yeah, they it's they survived. Like, yeah, like <laughs> they didn't do it miraculously. <laughs> I know. Like, bitch, I survived because I struggled. <laughs> If, if it was a miracle, they would have crashed with like an entire bag full of sausages and bread. Like, that's a fucking miracle. Yeah. They would have fucking crashed with like space heaters and a George Foreman, <laughs> a, a generator with 
Oh my God. No, like this. Mm-mm. So as that section of the plane got ripped off, three passengers, the navigator and the steward were lost along with the entire tail section. The aircraft continued forward and upward about another 660 feet or about 330 feet in horse cocks for a few more seconds when the, when the left wing struck an outcropping at about 14,400 feet. So, I mean, they've gone up from like 13,000 range up to the 14,000 range. They were kind of flying up at this point. Mm-hmm. You got to imagine almost like ramping off the top of these mountains. Well, they said that he had in an attempt to like save the plane, he had literally pointed it completely vertical at a yeah, point. Straight up, which which is fucking retarded, bro. You're literally gonna stall out. Like that doesn't slow make sense. Down, I guess, just because the wings, you know, that you get a, a bigger surface of the wing now pulling against the wind. Yeah. So maybe but then at the same time you slam into something, you're gonna break that fucker in half Titanic style. Yeah. I, I actually make a reference to Titanic in here. That's funny. Oh, oh you see? That's what <laughs> maybe he watched the movie. Oh. I don't think so. It wasn't out yet. <laughs> Uh, but he was moving 220 miles an hour at the time this thing was crashed. That is, they're fucking cruising as they're slamming into all this shit, getting people ripped out the side of it. It describes two more passengers falling out of the back of the plane over the course of the crash. And then the front portion of the fuselage flying straight through the air before skidding down a steep slope, like, <laughs> like a toboggan, actually, say, for about 2,379 feet at the end of which a full force slammed into a snowbank. The impact against the snowbank crushed the entire cockpit, uh, including the two pilots inside, killing both of them. Yeah. And that's where my Titanic reference is. And a fuselage, by the way, is the body of the plane, in case you didn't know what it was. So I, I literally put, when what was left of the plane body slid down 725 meters before reenacting the Titanic and smashing into a snow and ice glacier. Oh, I took all your thunder. Dude. I know you did. You just like <laughs> took it. Great minds. I know. But pilot Julio died instantly. Like as soon as fucking the plane crashed, he was crushed. Like the the whole panel cockpit and everything just full like blown full blown pushed against his chest yeah. and crushed his entire like torso and then forced his head out the window. <gasps> kind of like a tube of toothpaste. Yeah. Oh, no. That's awful. I don't know. I think that might be the best stuff we're getting through this entire thing. That's that might be the way to do it. Yeah, that was at least it was like pretty instantaneous. Like it was just pretty quick. Do you think think that for even a second he might have felt pain, though, because he knew what was going on? I think he was just too scared to even feel it, because most of the time when your adrenaline is pumping and you get hurt, you don't actually feel it. Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, I guess that's right. I guess that's the best way. Well, the wreck was unfortunately 3,570 meters or 11,710 feet in the remote Andes of far western Argentina, just east of the border of Chile. At least four people died from the impact of the plane body hitting the snowbank, which ripped the remaining seats from their anchors and hurled them to the front of the plane. Oh. So even the people in back, even the ones who didn't get completely crushed by the cabin themselves got that effect where it's like trying to toss you through the windshield of the car when it hits. Yeah. There's no windshield. It's just a metal fuselage. Exactly. And because of this, a ton of them broke their legs because they were stuck behind things. So as soon as everything was like ripped forward, their legs just like broke. They snapped like twigs. Oh my God. Could you imagine that? So So that's seven, I think is what it says, right? Seven right off the bat. Just Yeah. And literally the team of physicians, like the doctors, 
Francisco Nicola and his wife, Esther Nicola, mm-hmm. died. Like the two doctors fucking died. Damn. How this a miracle flight? Please <laughs> tell me. <laughs> now I see why you're so offended. Like it just like it's just worse and worse, and the layers just keep burning. Exactly. They should have called this the fucking down shits creek flight because this is awful. Oh yeah, it's uh... so, <laughs> Eugenia Parado and Fernando Vasquez, who were medical students, also died. Julio died instantly when the nose gear compressed the instrument panel against his chest, forcing his head out the window. And (laughs) this is the best part. Co-pilot Dante was critically injured and trapped in the crushed cockpit. He was in so much pain that he asked one of the passengers to find his pistol and shoot him. But the passenger said, no. No, dude, you got us into this, man. Yeah. Not about that life, bro. You just crashed us. You can suffer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I keep them around too and just watch them and be like, look at you. Yeah. Don't you suck. Suck to suck. (laughs) So having crashed so high up in the mountains, it was unbearably cold. And their not smooth landing also severely injured many people, which led to the deaths of five more people the first night of the tragic incident. Mm -hmm. So altogether, after like the crash is said and done in the first night, 33 people had survived. Out of 49? 45, I think? 45, yeah. 45, okay. But many of them were seriously or critically injured. Hmm. Compound fractures, huge lacerations. Some of these people straight up impaled on parts of the plane. (laughs) Fucking horror show. But I, this, you get it? Yes. Four for four. (laughs) Wow. Lady is a Jill of all trades. I got to have some good Asian traits. I got the hair and the ability to kill flies. I didn't know that was a traditional Asian trait. I think so. I mean, whatever. (laughs) He's really good at it. He'll get anything. And he'll fly hard as fuck. But there'll be no fly after. (laughs) It's just gone. It's all about the follows really, love. (laughs) So... Canessa and Gustavo Zerbino were both first-year medical students and acted quickly to assess the severity of people's wounds and treated people that they could help the most. So they're literally just walking around and they're like, mm, you're probably going to die. So I'm just going to go over here, which I mean, it does make the most sense, but like that sucks. Lady love, you know, in case of an emergency, you have to, you have to do for the greater good. Triage. Yeah. Save who you can. Yeah. Save. Don't waste your time on the ones you can't because then whoever you could have saved is going to die. Yeah, I get it. Exactly. Use your resources wisely. They left. They were in the mountains. They were like, "You're gonna go by. You're gonna go by. You're gonna go by." So sorry. <laughs> Be with you, Amen. <laughs> like, I feel like after this, though, they should have like fast tracked them through medical school and been like, "You know what? You're just doctors now." Like, yeah. And then he gets in the hospital the first day and he tries to like trach somebody with a piece of hydraulic tubing or something like. That. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we did it in school. Exactly. And it all goes to shit. Right, this going to need two thigh steaks in the morning to help him heal up. He needs protein. I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> two thigh steaks. Oh, my God. Well, that's what they know. They say, like, the best way to learn something is through experience. True. At least he'll be, like, handy, nifty, you know? He's not going to be scared of any emergency. He'll be good, in, good under pressure, for sure. Exactly. Okay, I need a tube of lipstick, super glue, and a fork. <laughs> Um, those are not our tools, sir. I need those now. 
stat. <laughs> Nando Parado had a skull fracture and was in a coma for three days. Enrique Platero had a piece of metal stuck in his abdomen that pulled out a few inches of his intestine with it when it was removed. But this dude's kind of a badass because as soon as they got done pulling out his like fucking small intestine in the, the middle, he immediately started to help other people. Intestines hanging out of body. He's probably run up some dude like, all right, tie off the leg with my intestines. Good tourniquet. Perfect. All right, you're good. I should <laughs> stay by you. <laughs> just, just follow me. Come with. And uh, both of Arturo Nogueria's legs were broken in several places. And none of the passengers that had compound fractures survived. Which you're not. I mean, you're bleeding all over the place. You got bones sticking out. You can't move. Oh, God. That didn't happen. It's fine. And back. Like, do you really bleed that much with a compound fracture? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that's because it's it's going to rip through vessels on the way out. I mean, bone marrow in and of itself is just basically a big old spongy pad of blood. That it's a mess. And then um, as it's protruding through the fatty tissue too, you can develop what's called a fat embolism where actual fat gets sucked into the vessels. There's nothing you can do out in the mountains for that. There's not much you can do. I mean, they're hard enough to treat in a hospital, let alone being out in the mountains, but there's like a thousand different ways that will kill you. Wow. What do you do with a compound fracture? Like surgery. Do you, but do you like got to pull it like back into place or something? You might know better than I do. I mean, it's, are they going to even attempt to set that once it's sticking outside or they, no, ortho is not my thing. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. I don't have any experience with it myself. I, I'm sure I covered it back when I was in school. But right now, honestly, I couldn't even tell you. I don't know if they do traction for that. I would think they would have to, depending on how they can actually secure the bones back together. Right. Like put a rod down the length of it, a couple of screws to hold that in. But I mean, even then still, that's if it's an ugly break and it's, there's nothing for it to hold up against, they're going to have to put some kind of traction on it. Yeah. Which they probably could have figured out out there. I mean, you can... Hang his, hang him from the ceiling or something. I don't know. I feel like they didn't try hard enough for the compound fractures. I'm not saying I could have done better, but I mean, come on. Greater good. Later compound fracture. Later compound fracture. Can't help you today, sir. So the one thing that was different about this one compared to the other cannibalism, well, we'll get to that. But the other disasters we've talked about is that within one hour of the of the crash, the flight was reported missing. So they pretty much immediately knew something was off here. They didn't show up at the airport, so they're like, okay. That's not good. Let's get out there. Let's find out what's going on. So they at least know there's somebody out there immediately trying to rescue them. The Uruguayan media at about 6 p.m. that evening received word. So then anybody whose families were sitting at home, anybody who's expecting them, everybody immediately knew something's off. This plane didn't come back. And after it had been gone for a certain amount of time, they can figure they definitely don't have fuel. So they crashed in what was probably one of the most remote and most inaccessible parts of the Andes. Like we said before, the literal worst place you can crash a plane up there. So they knew they were down and they knew it was very hard to get to them from that point. Damn. On the second day, 11 aircraft from Argentina, Chile, Uruguay searched out for the down flight. Uh, the survivors tried to use lipstick recovered from the luggage. That's funny shit. That dude did have lipstick and he didn't even. <laughs> uh, they tried to use lipstick to write an SOS on top of the roof of the aircraft, but pretty much immediately quit because they knew they did not have enough to make that visible from above. The mountain range is huge, and it's not like any one mountain looks any different from the other. It's like, it's like looking at a big white sheet of paper. Yeah, and then, and then the plane is white also. Exactly. Even with a little bit of red lipstick on there, they have like nothing to be able to signal them with. See, if they would have got that good good, maybe their lipstick would have went a little farther. Quality is quantity. 
I'm just saying. Or maybe men should just start like carrying lipstick with them at all times, just in case. Because there was only like a few women, a handful. I'm going to carry a flare gun. A flare gun? <laughs> I think that's the better option. <laughs> I don't know. Good you're right, I, might, I might need the lipstick otherwise. You're right. That's more practical for me today. I was going to say, you don't know great until you've had like a really good tube of lipstick. Like that that one that's just your favorite. I got good lips. great. Need a lipstick. <laughs> I'm a natural kind of guy. I'm a natural kind of guy. <laughs> so while they were sitting waiting, trying to make their makeshift SOS, trying to figure out ways to signal on, they actually saw three aircraft flying above their fuselage. Um, but like you mentioned, they could not see a white plane against white snow. Search efforts ended up being canceled after eight days. And this, at that point, the search has concluded there was no hope. There's no possible way. Even if we do find them, we cannot get to them. And even if we could get to them, they're not going to survive long enough for us to do it. So which, pretty much all hope is gone. Which is trash. Eight days, bro. You couldn't have given maybe even two weeks. Like, But like, what do you even... It seems like it's hard enough to even fly anything in there to get them back out. I mean, you'll hear the bitch of a time they had even getting a helicopter in there to try to get them back out after the fact. Yeah. You know, let alone when they're, if they were to get there at that time, everybody needs emergent medical help. I think it's pretty much still going the same way, even if they got a chopper there right away. Like, how many people can you possibly get out in one shot? Yeah, but at least they would like know that they're there. Yeah, get a location, right? Yeah, something. You imagine seeing the three fly overhead, though? I would be so sad. Like most defeating feeling. Yeah. I just, I honestly don't know how these people survived because I would have gave up after all the struggles that I read these people had to go through. Oh, I know how they survived and it is not delicious. No, it's not. Definitely not. Unsalted and frozen. Gross. I think I'd Two things I dislike. I had a lot of chips this week. Like I imagine I, I would taste salty <laughs> right now. I'm pre-salted. Yeah. I do use a lot of salt in my food. I would hope I would taste like sasson or something. I do use that a lot. <laughs> like adobo. Yeah. There's a lot of paprika. I could actually, I might be good. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> I hope. Do you think people taste different, like based on that, like oh, their, their foods? I got a dad thing for this. Holy shit. Okay. We figured out that the breast milk is, I, so viewers at home, I'm a new dad. I got a mom at home breastfeeding. We figured out that based on what she eats, he can have different like GI issues. What that implies to me is that it probably also tastes different too. Yeah. I remember, I think it was an episode of two and a half men. And there was this lady that was like still breastfeeding her kid. And he was like four years old. And so he goes in for like, you know, his fucking lunchtime. And then he's like, pulls back and he's like, ma, lay off the Mexican. Dude, I bet you could taste it though. <laughs> I would think so. I mean, it does make sense. I only tried it once. So I have no second point of reference on it, but like, I'll get back to you with tasting notes. In fact, instead of wine next time, hear me out. Oh, God. No, no. <laughs> I was going to say, I've seen titty milk and it doesn't look great. That's kind of cannibalism though, right? That, that tracks. You know, that's that's on theme. No. A little, Isn't right? No, we drink milk from something else's tit. Yeah, yeah. all right. So you, you drink blood from a dude. That's cannibalism, right? What about breast milk? I don't know. It's a fluid. Cannibalism? I would think so, right? I mean, that's human tissue. That's human cells. Specifically. I don't know about drinking. Would it be different? Because the guys on the boat, they drank a lot of blood. Ew. Yeah, which also stresses me out. Yeah, I don't like that. Thick, I would think it'd be uh, thick. Yeah, it had to be thick and like coagulates. Oh, yeah. I can't digest well. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. No. Ew. Breast milk, though, to me, it looks like um, 
You know, when you let sour cream sit in the tub for a little while and it gets that the like juice on top. Yeah. It looks like that. Like it oh. looks like sour cream juice. I was looking oh, at the yogurt like juice that. this morning. I was going to say that same thing. To you. Yeah. Cause like it, it does. <laughs> I hate the juice. Do you mix it back in or do you pour it off? I'm not a sour cream person. Ah, I think Dev mix it back in. Yeah. yeah. It's supposed to be there. I, I think that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, it would make sense. I, I, I've I never even thought about pouring it out, honestly, Joe. Now that you say it, I'm like, oh. I've never done it, but I just, like, I wonder, like, maybe some people do pour. Well, <laughs> write in, tweet us. No, don't tweet. We don't check that. But tell us what right, you think. <laughs> do you pour out your sour cream juice or do you mix it back in? Mm-hmm. We'll do a survey. I would think mixing it back in would make sense because it's just like the. It started there. Might as well yeah, go exactly. There. It's like, it's not like it's poison or something. I would hope not. If it were poison, Lady Love, I mean, that could explain Devin's asshole, actually. <laughs> this whole time, you're just supposed to not drink the juice. I know. So what was left of the aircraft became their only form of shelter. They all lived and slept in it like a bunch of fucking sardines in a can. And it's not like there was an incredible amount of the plane left. I mean, it ripped off both the wings and the tail end. They used whatever that they could, like parts of the plane and everything, to try to like block out the weather. To try to keep themselves warm and survive they were the elements. creative as shit, too. Like, they actually took apart the seats and used individual different materials. Like, they basically built an actual wall out of this. Yeah. And they took the insulating material, made sure that was in the middle. They had, like, waterproof sections on either side of it. They were smart as shit. It does make sense to do so. But the sad thing is, a uh, fun fact, the flight had actually crashed about 13 miles away from a former hotel, Termas El Sosnado. Mm-hmm. But it was an abandoned resort in Hot Spring that could have sheltered them. Damn. In Hot Spring. Holy shit. Yeah, like, literally always just a hot tub running 24-7. I would be so mad if I found that out. Like, damn, dog, if I would have just taken a little hike, I could have fucking been warm and, I don't know, slightly had a house. That's a big-ass hike, though, in the cold. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, either way, they're in the cold. Like, what would you prefer, being cold in a hot spring or cold inside of a fucking ripped-up airplane? That's true. The survivors had very little food. They had eight chocolate bars, a tin of mussels, three jars of jam, a tin of almonds, a few dates, candies, dried plums, and several bottles of wine. Wait, they crashed with wine? Yeah. How the fuck did I miss that? Okay, so maybe this is a miracle. Hold on. (laughs) I mean, the wine's going to just dehydrate you more, though, so it's not like it's the best thing to crash with. Hey, if I got to die, at least I can die with some alcohol in my belly. Yeah, I guess that's true. It'll age for a short while. The days following the crash, they divided what they had into small amounts to make sure their supply would last as long as possible. The one survivor, Parado, who had the skull fracture, actually ate one single chocolate-covered peanut for over three days. He ate one? One chocolate-covered peanut for over three days. Like, I wonder how he did it, though. Like, did he, like, suck all the chocolate off first and then save the peanut? Yeah, and then, funny. like, eat one half the one day and then one half the other? Or did he just, like, you know, try to get a little bit of each and, like, bite it into three? There's no way that that is more satisfying than just eating the thing and being done with it. Doesn't that feel torturous to drag it out for three days? I mean, if that's all you got, though. But yeah. This rather, peanut might be the last thing I eat for the I, rest of my life. I got to savor it. But I would rather just eat the fucking thing and make one fat cell and let my body eat that fat cell later. I just don't know if it'd be enjoyable to like, I guess maybe just for the flavor, just to have a little something every day, a little bit of hope. 
I just give him props for being able to. I would have just ate the damn thing. Exactly. I never could hold out. No, but I have like self-control issues. I'll literally buy myself a bag of M&Ms at work and I'll be like, oh, this should last the day. And then like literally five minutes later, I'll just have eaten the entire bag. (laughs) I do the same thing, though, as long as I'm just not getting another bag. It's okay. So after he finished up with that peanut and everything else was gone, they pretty much figured out, well, shit, we're on a mountain. There's nothing up here. There's no animals. Even if there were, we can't hunt them. There's no vegetation. There's nothing. These dudes tried to eat the plane. They literally tried to eat the leather and the cotton inside the seats. Back up. The Downer Party did that, but that was from the good old days back when we made shit with some some integrity. That was actual cowhide wagons right there. So you can yeah. eat the cowhide. Yeah. Your shoes, that's genuine leather. You can eat that. No, like, these motherfuckers were eating chemicals. No, it's like polyester blend. It's like half plastic. <laughs> yeah, that's fucking gross. And they got to, maybe one of them read about the Downer Party and they're like, hold on, we can just eat what we have around us. <laughs> and just didn't know, or I guess maybe they were that desperate. Can you imagine eating a fucking leather chair? No, like you can't just, even chew through it. No, the smell on the airplane grosses me oh, out. Just dude. to imagine what it's made of. Like How I many don't farts want baked it? into that seat that you're trying to chow at. <laughs> <laughs> That's disgusting. Oh. And people are savages. And they got sicker. It made them much, much worse. Yeah. They ate it and then they were like, oh, I'm dying. I guess I can't eat this. So knowing that rescue efforts had been called off and faced with starvation and death. The survivors agreed that if they died, the others should consume their bodies to live. So at least they came to like an agreement. Don't kill anybody. But once they die, we got to do, do yeah. And with no choice, the survivors ate the bodies of their dead friends. Knessa used broken glass from the aircraft windshield as a knife and ate the first toothpick sized strip of frozen flesh. Oh, frozen skin. You must just swallow it, right? Just it, it, it said it was like comparable to the size of a matchstick. So what are you really eating, though? It's symbolic, though. Like, nobody wants to do it. So he's like, hey, you know what? There you go. Now I'm the savage. I did it. Ew. Now they just have now you just have to be as bad as me. I, I like that. He took the bullet. I respect that. I wonder where he took it from, though. Like, where would you ask you? Ashy? I don't know. I don't think he would have like taken the time to no, like logistically speaking, like I don't think he would have taken the time to pull out, like pull down the pants and then cut the ash cheek. And nor would that inspire any confidence. You imagine that, like it's a hard enough conversation to have, and then this dude dives in ass first. Yeah. But like I wouldn't want to have hair on it because like having hair in my mouth grosses me out. But like cutting a person's face is like that's yeah, like you hair. don't do that. You don't eat them face first. Yeah. So like where where do you really cut it? I from? want the skin anyway. That's just tough. Oh, it's going to be chewy and stringy and sinewy. and I mean, it was frozen. It was probably like... Like I've said, I think you dive in, you go for the liver. Hmm. Well, whatever. He's the one who did it, so I'm not going to argue. <laughs> At least he got it done. Later on that day, several other people did the same thing. And then the next day, more survivors ate the meat offered to them. But a few of them just refused or couldn't keep it down, which I get. I don't think I could eat it. I feel like I might actually throw up. Yeah, I've talked a lot of games through this whole thing, but I would really be struggling on that. Especially after your Burger King situation. It's human flesh, I guarantee it. I cannot be convinced otherwise. Once you smell it, you cannot smell it, I'm telling you. I'll never go to Burger King again. (laughs) I was going to just ask (laughs) you that. Nope, I can't do it. That's all I'm going to think is my cooking wife. That's so good. Yeah. Well... I didn't know they used like a cauterizing knife, too. Does that like limit scarring or something? No, it stops the bleeding as they cut it. Because well, burning it. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, but so, I so, thought maybe it had more of like a 
another purpose also. I didn't have a chance to ask. They weren't even thrilled at me looking. No. I thought they were tired of my shit now. <laughs> All I wanted to do was see. I'm like, you know, I had her hand. I was taking care of her. I'm like, come on, what are you doing over there? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, pull his hand out. Let him come out like alien. Uh, like, I'm a nurse. Let me just, just real quick. Yeah, we're good. I knew what I was doing. Kind Educational of. purposes. They were stranded over there for 72 days and suffered numerous hardships, including exposure, starvation, and an avalanche. Damn. Miracle of the Andes. Like, Lady Love. An avalanche? Miracle Flight. Like, I think we should just, like, create a petition to change the name of this fucking thing. Because this is awful, Miracle Flight, my dickhole. Just when you think it's just going lower and lower and lower and just down the rabbit hole. You're just like, geez, these poor people. So to eat my cousin, man, how could things get worse? What's that rumbling? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, fuck, it's an avalanche. Like, what? Oh, they didn't even see it coming, Lady Love. They don't oh. even see it coming. Yeah, it was at night, wasn't it? Were they sleeping? Yeah, it was like midnight. Hell. Oh. I don't even like waking up to a loud clap of thunder, let alone... And it, I mean, it, it, it killed a few of them right on impact, too. Oh, yeah. Oh. So, accepting the human popsicle eating, the survivors decided to dry the meat that they were eating in the sun, which made it into jerky. People jerky. Yeah, oh. which made it easier for them to eat. Which, I mean... I feel like you would have to cook it. You can't eat frozen people. Like, it's just not going to work that way. I was going to bring jerky for this just for this part. And I forgot to fucking do it. So we could eat jerky while we were talking about this. <laughs> I thought it'd be like a good tactile thing. Really get in the moment. Yeah. When I went to the fair, I, I went to like the jerky guy and I got, you know, a sample of like each kind. And I got to say, like, what was it? I think it was a uh, buffalo jerky or something like that or bison jerky that's what it was it was pretty delicious we had camel camel was real good i like that african one though the biltong all right maybe it's like that's like a method of drying the meat but it's really fucking good really yeah anything biltong go for that versus anything you've ever had before i've literally never thought about eating a camel Mm -hmm, i don't don't think about a camel at all i kind of forget they're there yeah like what what is it comparable to a moose They're, they're fucking huge but I mean, like the meat. Look at those big fatty ass lumps on their back. And I think that's just fat. The meat, like horse, maybe. Would it be like red or, or? I think I think it'd be venison like. Hmm. I've never had elk, but maybe like elk. Oh. They got to be strong. I mean, they're big fucking animals. Got to be real dense. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's weird. I wouldn't eat that. Why not? I, I mean, know. if that's. Cow's like- weird. Look at me, those. Dude, cows used to look like horses, and look what we did to them. We turned them into Honey Boo Boo's mom. Did we pug them? We did the same thing we did to pugs? I think so. Like, oh. we literally, they're just, like, big and round, and even when they're, like, thin, they still look fat. Like, you could see a cow at the fair that has, like, its rib showing and everything, and I think it looks emaciated, and it still looks, like, hefty. It's a good, honest American cow right there. I like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I fucking hate looking at the cows at the fair. I <laughs> I think I make Devin mad all the time because every time we go to the fair, I'll go into like the animal pins and I'll have like the horses there and stuff. And I'm like, this is inhumane. (laughs) (laughs) It's hot in here. No, it's just like the, that's like the ancient days and the horses used to roam the blacktop plains on the Central America. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they ran in fucking grass and they don't want to be at the fair. 
Exactly. They don't want to be there. They literally shit as much as possible in the cages, just hoping that they can get the fuck out of there. Oh, you figure it's passive aggressive shitting? Yeah, I think I that's like exactly that. what it is. There's no way they just shit like that. Like, no one can poop that much. We'll start using that to express dissatisfaction. That actually sounds like a good way of doing things. You know, one time at one of the showrooms at my, of my job, like someone legitimately took a shit in the corner. We had a dude I worked with in a haunted house took a shit in one of our rooms. <laughs> Why? Some, some people do it. That's just their, I'm dissatisfied. <laughs> Drop it. That's Drop one right there. weird. I can't poop on command. Yeah, that's... That is the more impressive part. You're right. You think it's on command? You don't think they save it? I think it falls out. Like, they were saving all day getting ready to do that one specific thing. I wouldn't be able to. If I go too long without pooping, when I feel like I have to poop, that's it. It's not coming out. Like, it's it's in there. <laughs> like, you don't want me to come out now? I'm not coming out. But... Turning it into jerky made it easier to eat, which I guess that was one of our questions. So I guess they'd answered it. Mm-hmm. And they were initially so revolted by the experience that they ate only the skin, muscle, and fat. Mm-hmm. But when their supply of flesh was diminished, they also ate hearts, lungs, and even brains. Ooh. You don't eat brains. No. You definitely cannot eat brains. That's disgusting. It's got to be like squishy, right? Yeah. It'll, it'll fucking kill you, dude. That's where people pr- uh, pick up prion illnesses. It's from eating brains. Ew. You look up the uh, the four tribes people of Papua New Guinea. Oh they, they have a prion illness that's like endemic to their population specifically because they keep eating brains as a part of like a death ritual. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It fucks you up too. Yeah, it's fatal 100% of the time. There's nothing you can do to treat it. You definitely, especially human brains, you don't eat. We suck. We are not good meat. I wouldn't imagine so. We put so much terrible shit in our bodies. Got it. Damn, fine. You're going to have to leave one alive to tell the tale, though. I know. <laughs> you kill them all. They don't know to be afraid. Well, they're fucking getting on my goddamn nerves. It left you alive for one thing and one thing only. <laughs> Go know. back and tell them what you saw. <laughs> I know. Let them know. Don't come back in this house. Like, I'm generally pretty good on, like, you know, not killing things or, like, insects and stuff. But fruit flies literally just get on my fucking nerves because they always fly, like, right in your face. And I don't even know where the fuck they're coming from. Like... I think it was my stupid plants. I love my plants, but God. (laughs) So they also started to formulate a plan to get help because they knew that no one was coming for them. And they kind of started tossing around the idea of like hiking over the mountains to find help. They thought that they were like not too far from the border and everything. So they assumed that people would be there, but they were not. Mm. I, I can't remember, but I think they were like 50 miles away from like the closest yeah, person. Yeah, 50. So 17 days after the crash, as if life wasn't already shitting on their souls, at around midnight on October 29th, an avalanche hit the aircraft as the survivors slept. Yeah. It filled the plane and killed eight people. Enrique Platero, Liliana Methel, Gustavo Nicolich, Danielle Maspons, Juan Mendez, Diego Storm, Carlos Roque, and Marcello Perez. This just destroyed all hope that they had of actually making out of there alive. Because two of their like most important people, like the leader of this whole survivor group and uh, the woman that like basically nursed them all back to health, both died in this avalanche. Mm-hmm. And that smacked into them in the middle of the night too. Like I said before, like the worst wake up experience you could ever have. Just all of a sudden, you're being crushed. Everybody around you is screaming. You're slammed against the ceiling, and then you're stuck, left in a cavity about, what do they say, three feet high from what went from like eight feet by nine feet, like big tube. They're crushed into an area 
you couldn't stand up. You couldn't, you could barely lay down. And there's still like, I think over 20 people left in here at this point, if it killed eight. Yeah. Yeah. And you're surrounded by dead or dying people trapped inside of a fuselage, freezing cold, not in a pitch black, no fucking idea what just happened to you. Yeah. And like, what a way to wake up. Like one time I got punched in my face when I was sleeping and it was like shocking. It's a story. I don't know. I was wretched when I was younger. So (laughs) as soon as something like that happens to you, it's not even like you feel it. You just like wake up and very dazed and confused and like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, exactly. Because you don't, you're not like instantly reacting. So the survivors that were trapped inside because there was literally snow just everywhere realized that they were running out of air because, you know, snow. So badass Nando Parado found a metal pole that he was able to use to poke a hole in the roof to get ventilation. That's a skull fracture, dude. Again, Mm. this dude is resourceful as shit after having his skull cracked open. Maybe it knocked something loose and made him smarter. Mm-hmm. Got that savant thing going on after the hit to the yeah. head? Nuh-uh. Six for six. Unreal. Yeah. <laughs> I know for fly living in there today. No, lady love. I just made one of those stupid fly catcher things with like the apple cider vinegar and everything. So they're all going to die. Like, but, I don't even know where the fuck they're coming from. put dish soap in that? Yep. Dish yeah, soap and apple cider vinegar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a shitload of fruit flies for a while. I've been through this. I know how it goes. It's a, well, fucking assholes. I can't stand those things. It's like they just fucking materialize. I don't even know where they come from. Like oh, I literally had no- making me like crawl. There were literally no fruit flies in this house yesterday. Today, I I just don't know. I don't understand. It's stressing me out. But on Halloween morning, they used every ounce of will that they had to dig a tunnel from the cockpit to the surface. Only to find out that it was a fucking blizzard outside. Damn, bro. No breaks. No breaks at all. Miracle flight, lady love. It's, it's a miracle they survived flight. What do we say? 11,000 feet in the Andes? Yeah, this, this pretty much tracks. That's kind of how I imagine 11,000 feet up in the mountains. Well, for three days, the survivors were trapped inside of that tiny, cramped, pitch black, stuffy, maybe? I Can it be stuffy and cold at the same time? Space surrounded by the corpses of all of their friends and family and colleagues who just died during that avalanche. And again, with no other choice on the third day, they began to eat the flesh of their newly dead friends uh, with Perez dead, the former leader cousins, Eduardo and Fido Stouch and Danielle Fernandez assumed leadership and took over the duty of harvesting flesh from their deceased friends and distributing it to the others. You know, good on them. That's good ass leadership. That like, is- that's, that's how you control the situation. Like, Hey, we're the leaders now. And everybody's like, ah, fuck, who made you? We're going to go cut the guys up. All right, go do your thing. That's fine. You're leader. Yeah, You're exactly. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to just like go cut some people up. I mean, there may be a few exes. I wouldn't, you know, I mean, if they died in the plane crash and I had to eat them. But at least you get all the good parts then, right? If there's a good part to be eaten. No, I'd probably just cut them up and feed them to everybody else. I've dealt with that already. You're just, you know, you're, you're out. You're checking out on it. Yeah. You wouldn't, you would eat jerky. I, I think I could eat the jerky. You could like the jerky. I mean, jerky's good. It's unsalted, though. Uh, well, they had some supplies. Did they have anything with salt? I mean, they have wine and what were. Oh, okay. Yeah, hold on. I can master chef this. What do we have available to us? So they had some mussels, which, how do you have mussels? Oh, tins of mussels. Yeah. Well, that's got to be salted, right? I don't know. 
think Where's so. my wife when I need her? I guarantee she can make a gourmet meal out of this. But they had already eaten all this stuff before they started eating the jerky people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good call. Yeah, you weren't saving it, anticipating having to season up the people. No. See, my decision at the end of all the other situations, though, was that you got to eat people early if you want to make it at least in a somewhat ideal scenario. Like, I don't want to wait until I have to do it and then eat the skinny-ass 55-pound dude up there. Mm-hmm. I want to get him when he's meaty and he's got some striation left to him, you know? like Yeah, which does make get sense. Get it while it's good. Ideally, with some little muscle juice and salt in there to season up a little bit. I guess, but I like a lot of salt. I'd need to crash with like one of those Himalayan salt lamps or something to survive. <laughs> I mean, Andy's salt lamp. I know. So they're pretty well fucked at this point. Um, it's been a bad week. Actually, it's been about a bad month at this point. We're about a month after the plane crash before they started kind of getting the idea that we're going to have to walk out of here. Like, we're not going to survive. We're running out of people. We have no other options beyond that. We got to get the fuck out of here. So they started saving up some people and then gathering up. And when I say saving up some people, that's my way of saying storing some food for later. Um, these were dead people. <laughs> so I started setting some dudes aside saying, all right, we can't kill these guys because we're going to need this for the walk out of here. The people who decided to walk out, Numa, Turcati, Antonio, Vil- Villatin, I'm sorry, Vizitin, Canessa, and Parado. Parado, skull fracture dude, is going to walk out of here too. It blows my mind how much this dude was able to do after getting hit in the head like that. That dude has some big dick energy. Like, he's just... Man, dude. right? It's Him and getting stabbed in the stomach, dude. The intestines hanging out, dude. Yeah, like, that's pretty fire. I gotta These say. These guys did good. I mean, for a shit situation. They were fucking strong. They were smart, too. Yeah. I mean, you have to be. You know what we didn't talk about was when they first crashed, them MacGyvering together glasses so they wouldn't become snow blind. They took out parts of the... Uh, the tint on the front of the windshield, they took pieces of that and they fashioned that up with wire and some insulation to make actual sets of goggles to protect their eyes from the snow mm-hmm. and then to protect them from the light up there. Because once the sun's out, you got nothing but white reflect- reflecting light back at you. Yeah. These guys were smart as fuck up there. Yeah, that, that does make sense. They I would not snow suits. I mean, they insulated their clothing. It's incredible. Yeah, they had to do something to survive because there was no warmth. Like I'm not making it through a night. No, I would have died. It was negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit up there. Yeah. And that's not factoring in the wind. Oh, no. I would have jumped off the mountain. Like, that's okay. Yeah. 14,000 or 11,000 feet, negative 22 in what? Probably 70 mile an hour winds, at least gusts during a blizzard. You're talking like negative 60 wind chill. Oh, yeah. There's no fucking. You're not going to make it five minutes and these dudes survive for a month at this point. Yeah. No, I would have found that pistol and definitely murdered myself. That's it. That's probably why he didn't kill that pilot. He's like, fuck no, I'm going to need these bullets. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wasting this on you. This is your fault, bro. <laughs> well, one month after the crash on November 15th, they set out. And after several hours of walking east, the trio found a largely intact tail section of the aircraft, um, which contained a portion of the galley, the kitchen. Um, it was located about a mile east and downhill from the fuselage. Inside and in some of the nearby luggage, they found a box of chocolates, three meat patties, a bottle of rum, cigarettes, extra clothes, comic books, and a little bit of medicine. There's your fucking miracle, finally. Yeah, some chocolate and meat patties. They also found the aircraft's two-way radio. The group decided to camp that night inside that tail section. They were able to build a fire and (laughs) reported afterward to have stayed up late reading comic books. Oh, it's like a sleepover party. I mean, I would have read comic books, too, after like nothing for weeks and weeks and weeks. Chocolate and people jerky charcuterie, reading your comic books, your feet kicking up in the air. Yeah. A couple old buddies staying up late. (laughs) 
I love it. It says they stayed up late. <laughs> Telling stories by the fire. Most whimsical cannibalism disaster you've ever heard. I know. Well, back at the plane, things were starting to deteriorate more. Numa Tricotti, who would not eat human flesh, ended up dying on day 60, the 11th of December. At the time of his death, I, I'm sorry, I didn't catch the if it was a he or a she, um, weighed only 55 pounds. Wow. Which pretty much tells me exactly what I said before. You got to start eating people right away. Yeah. Like, dude, 55 pounds? These were f- a fucking rugby team. I'm impressed that they made it that 60 like, that days, long. No, like nothing, no food. Beefy dudes, though, right? I mean, the rugby player, it's basically built like a linebacker. Yeah. It's a lot of muscle to waste away. It's a lot of fat. And they had unlimited water. They built a solar collector, too, after the thing crashed. Mm-hmm. They took all the reflective pieces of the plane and built a big disc with a hole in the bottom and just loaded up with snow, let the sun melt it, and they drank all that. That's a fucking awesome idea, too. These people are smart. They were, but this dude was not smart enough to, or maybe was smart enough to not give in and eat the people and unfortunately died. Well, I mean, it said that um, most of the people on this flight were very like devoted Catholics or Christians. Yes. Um, the guy who was originally leading it before the avalanche killed him at the time of having to eat the flesh made a comment comparing it to the Eucharist body yeah. of Christ, body of Christ. There you go. Or like body of Judith. It's a, well, they had the wine too. They could do a full communion. I, I mean, I think there's a fair chance. That's I know one of the women, that's how she talked herself into doing it was, Hey, it was good enough for them with Jesus. This is good enough for me now. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, I guess. I mean, you know. I give him credit for giving in and getting it done. That's your only chance. Yeah. When it comes down to that, people don't really want to die. No, fuck no. Like Your survival instincts are insane. I mean, to the point of ripping a piece of metal out of your stomach, tucking your intestines back in and going to help other people. Yeah. It's adrenaline, man. It's just your body telling you, keep going. So they're still trekking off. They're still trying to get out of here, um, but they're still climbing through the Andes fucking mountains and it's still freezing fucking cold. The only good thing about this is as the story progresses on, you got to remember down South of the equator, their seasons are backwards, right? Mm-hmm. So as they seem to be getting deeper and deeper into winter, deeper and deeper into December, it's actually warming up. It's getting nicer out. Okay. So some of the valleys in between these mountains are becoming habitable. Like if you look up pictures of the region, you'll get nothing but like snow-capped mountains and shittiness, but there are like green fertile valleys. There's definitely like some light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. It's like Alaska. Yeah. From from like 11,000 feet, you might even be able to like when it clears up, see a valley somewhere in the distance. So at least they got some hope as they're crawling through. Um, But where they were stuck, they still had, I want to say 30 plus miles of just snow-capped rocky mountain peaks to get through. So they figured out how to make a sleeping bag. Again, MacGyvering the shit here, uh, the survivors who had found the rear fuselage came up with an idea to use the insulation from the rear of the fuselage, copper wire, some waterproof fabric that covered the air conditioning of the plane to fashion a sleeping bag. So once again, we've reached the sleepover party part of the cannibalistic survival story. It just keeps getting more and more whimsical. I mean, a sleeping bag after all that time has got to be nice. It was a cuddle bag. They shared it, too. It held all of them who were trucking off. So you cuddle up with your buddies, got inside the bag. But it was actually sweet because then they could walk and walk and walk for how many miles. And when you got to hunker down, tuck yourself in a little bag, pass the fuck out. Yeah. So on December 12th, at this point, we got Parado, Canessa, Visitine, lacking any mountaineering gear or any experience, decided to start climbing a glacier, trying to climb their way out of here. The way they had it figured out, they were pretty sure this was going to take them to the city they were headed to. They thought they were heading in the right direction. Unfortunately, away from the hot spring resort, which sucks ass, but 
thinking they were near the western edge of the Andes, they figured it was probably only going to be about three days to get to where they needed to go. So they brought only about a three-day supply of meat, which is fucked because we're still talking about people at this point. And then maybe a couple of those meat patties they had. Yeah. Prado wore three pairs of jeans and three sweaters over a polo shirt, four pairs of socks wrapped up in plastic shopping bags. But again, they had no technical gear. They had no map. They had no compass. And the only way to accomplish this climb they were about to do was to climb straight up the side of a mountain. No, I'm sorry. That was up and over a mountain and down 5,000 feet to get to the next place they need to be. That's so fucking impressive. Like I go bouldering and I can't even like to climb that far without gear. And the vertical section they had to do, and it was near vertical. They had to go up about 300 feet to get up and over the summit of this mountain before then going down that 5,000 feet. And then don't fuck with that decline either, because that is brutal. That's hell on your body going down That's that insane. steep, that distance. How did they not die? Like, I don't, I can't believe they didn't fall and die. I can't believe they didn't die leading up to that point, let alone doing that. Yeah. I'd say, how do you get traction? Especially like being so starved and everything. They well, can't have had like the most amazing amount of strength ever to like hold themselves up. But they've been eating people for one month and three <laughs> weeks at this point. Yeah, but I'm not sure. really... were they starving anymore? Or were they doing pretty good at that point? That's what I'm not sure. Maybe it was pure will to get away. <laughs> well, yeah. that and then I heard one human body on average contains about like 125,000 calories worth of food. Okay. I mean, split between all those dudes and as many bodies as they had, they might have actually have been doing pretty good. But how much were they eating? Like, do you think they were really like sustaining, you know, a three meal a day kind of thing? Once I'm through the shock of it, I'm eating my fill. Yeah. Everything I eat, I eat my fill. I overeat every meal that I put into my body as of now. I guess once you're used to it, I just eat like I normally do. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. At what point is scarfing down on a dude's thigh or does it become weird? I mean, if it's all jerky, you're not uh, going to, you know what I mean? You're not going to know how much you've eaten at that point. Exactly. And it's like, eh, I don't know. So they climbed over this 300 foot wall, got to the top of the mountain, hoping that he was going to see those green fertile valleys we talked about of Chile to the west. And was stunned to see nothing but a vast array of mountain peaks in every single direction. Uh, They had climbed a mountain on the border of Argentina and Chile, meaning the trekkers were still tens of kilometers away from the green valleys of Chile. They were going to have to cross through all of this to get to where they needed to go. Um, So they hung out for a little bit. They actually sat up on the mountaintop and watched the sunset together, sipping cognac. Well, that's awesome. Yep. Prado said, Roberto, can you imagine how beautiful this would be if we were not dead men? (laughs) And you imagine having to share that cold ass defeated laugh, like everyone's furious, everyone's miserable, everyone's defeated, but nobody will say it. Like you're just still just, you know, fuck it, pass me the bottle. Yeah. Whatever. At least it looks nice. I mean, especially if you made it that far, you got to just keep humping. Like, I guess, yeah, it's like those little accomplishments in those moments that would kind of pull you through it. Like, hey, fuck, man, we got up 300 foot mountain face. That's. At least we did that. That's what I'm saying. They made it two months so far with literally nothing. Like they have no real shelter, no real food, just water and some Esteban. insulation. Fuck. Look at that sunset, man. Gorgeous. Yeah. Can you pass me some Dave? Yeah. <laughs> Can you pass me some of Dave? <laughs> oh, dude. It's so fucked up and then still kind of beautiful. It's weird. Yeah. That stuck out to me, though. I like that. It's a nice moment. Well, they're running out of food at this point. Remember, they only brought about a three-day supply. So one of them agreed to return to the crash site, I assume, to get more food. And then with the intention of coming back to keep pressing on over that mountain. So not only did they climb that fucker, they were going to have to do it again. 
Yeah. So he went back, got more food, but instead of climbing back down 300 feet and because they need to get the fuck back really quick, all of them, the three of them took to making a makeshift sled or a sleigh is how they describe it to slide back down the mountain to the site of the crash. That's fucking a smart idea. Uh, but again, it's whimsical. They're dashing through the snow down this fucking thing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you gotta have some fun. Watching the sunset, sipping some Kona. They kind of had a great day out on the mountain apart from like eating the jerky they were eating. At least we know that it's possible to still have fun through the cannibal survival horror. Yeah. That's good. That's some hope, right? Because like the whole time I've been saying, I just wouldn't want to fucking do it. I'll just die. Yeah. And they were probably at a point too, where they're just like, they probably didn't have any emotions towards it. It was just, they're trying to survive. Well, while still on that summit, Knessa had said to Parado, we may be walking to our deaths, but I'd rather walk to meet my death than to wait for it to come to me. Yeah. Said, you and I are friends, (laughs) Nando, we call them Nando. You and I are friends, Nando. We've been through so much. Now let's go die together. That's what he said to him. I'm impressed. Like, (sighs) I definitely, of all the cannibal stories that we've covered, this is definitely the most impressive of them. Bunch of fucking rugby players, man. They're like, whatever. Let me die then. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, God, man, they got balls. Yeah. It's definitely a crazy, intense. Yeah. Well, after returning for the food and then coming back up the 300 feet after their little sleigh ride adventure, they had it set back to hiking down the other side of the mountain that 5,000 feet vertically down. Um, it would end up hiking for several days after this point. Getting on further down toward the, the valleys, they started finding trees. They started finding wood. They, they're getting to a better point where they can actually survive. And as they were gathering wood to build a fire, one of them saw three men on horseback on the other side of a river. So one of the men across the river saw Parado and Canessa and shouted back to them tomorrow. You know, they must've been signaling to each other. I mean, they must've immediately known like, oh shit, these dudes are stuck. They're like, the fuck are these guys doing? They probably looked like shit. Well, they had a picture and they didn't look awful. Oh, that was a picture like of like right when they found them. I think I know which one you're talking about. Cause they were like sitting on the ground. Yeah. You can see they're a little bony in the face. Like they're definitely thin. I mean, especially by what I would imagine rugby player standards to be. Yeah. But they're not like, you know. Well, yeah, cognac. I mean, they were at least enjoying it. Yeah. So they had to camp out. They waited out. And the next day, that man returned, scribbled a note, attached it to a rock, and then threw it across the creek to him. The note said, oh, I'm not going to try to read the Portuguese. Not a fucking chance. He basically said, you know, we're here to save you. He writes down a note, throws it back to him, says, I come from the plane that fell in the mountains. I'm Uruguayan. We've been walking for 10 days. I have a wounded friend up there. In the plane, there are still 14 injured people. We have to get them out of there quickly, and we don't know how. We don't have any food. Fucking liar. They had tons of food. We are weak. When are you going to come back to, to fetch us? Please. We cannot even walk. Where are we? I mean, they're not <laughs> Dudes, wrong. get your fucking shit together. We got to leave. Why did just you come back? Where's the army? <laughs> get us the fuck out of here. Yeah. It's a lot, though. Like... They've been through hell, and the first people you see, like, you're going to want to just, like, get your point across. Dude, fucking help me. Yeah, like, throw a rock and be like, hey, bro, what's up? Well, the dude signaled, yep, I got you, and then rode off westward for 10 days on horseback to go find help. Fuck that. I'm sorry, not 10 10 days. 10 hours, shit. But still, 10 hours on horseback. Holy shit. Yeah. I've never ridden a horse, I don't think. So I'm not really... um... It's... It's kind of like smacking your balls into a piece of wood for like an hour. Every step, just wham, 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 wham. That's yeah, that doesn't sound fun. It's probably more fun for you, but yeah. 
Well, the guy gets back. Uh, he and upon returning, I looks like to San Fernando, Chile. They relay the news of the survivor to the army, who started making a plan to get them out by helicopter. Meanwhile, Parado and Canessa were brought back on horseback to Los Matines de Curico, I think, where they where they were fed and allowed to rest. They had hiked at that point about twenty four miles over ten days. And since the plane crash, Knessa lost almost half his body weight or 97 pounds. Okay. So yeah, they were, they were starving. Yeah. That's wow. 97, 97 pounds. pounds. I don't think even DJ was that bad last year, Lane Love. And he was like thin. I remember that. I wish I wouldn't have to, but it was like a skeleton. Yeah. And he was like a hundred and something pounds. This dude's only 97 really? pounds. Yeah. Cause I thought he would be like 97 pounds. No, he didn't hit that low. I think he got down to like 110 or something or 105, but not quite 97. When the news broke that the people had survived the crash of the Uruguayan Air Force flight, the stories that of the passengers' survival after the 72 days just got international attention. A flood of reporters began like walking along the route of the Puente... Puente... Yeah. Puente Negro to Termas del Flaco. All I know, all I see is black and skinny in this. I'm not. <laughs> so the reporters clamored to interview Parado and Canessa about the crash and their survivor survivor ordeal. The Chilean Air Force provided three Bell UH-1 helicopters to assist with the rescue. And they flew in heavy cloud cover under instrument conditions to Los Matines de Cuerco where the army interviewed Prado and Canessa. And when the fog lifted at about noon, Prado volunteered to lead helicopters to where the crash site is. So he had brought a pilot's flight chart with him and guided the helicopters up the mountain to the location of the remaining survivors. So the pilots were astonished at the difficult terrain that the two men had crossed to find help. And on the afternoon of December 22nd, 1972, two helicopters carrying search and rescue personnel found the survivors. But the terrain was so terrible that they could only get one helicopter down due to the altitude and weight limits. See, that's what I said. Like, It's near impossible to get these guys out of here. The two helicopters were able to only take half of the survivors. Four members of the search and rescue team volunteered to stay with the seven remaining survivors on the mountain. So they slept one more night inside the plane with the search and rescue party. And the second flight of helicopters arrived the following morning at daybreak. They carried all the survivors to hospitals, which at this point, I think it was 16 of them. About 45. Yeah. That's a lot of dead people. That sucks. Yeah. it's uh, That's the other percentage looks against like the Donner party, but. This was a bad one for sure. So they carry the survivors to the hospital for evaluation and they were treated for many different things. Altitude sickness, dehydration, frostbite, broken bones, scurvy, and malnutrition. So the last remaining survivors were rescued on December 23rd, more than two months after the crash, which Merry Christmas, motherfucker, because like, holy shit, it's insane that anybody can make it that long just in that cold alone. So under normal conditions, they would have brought back the remains of the dead people for burial. But given the circumstances, including that the bodies were in Argentina, the Chilean rescuers left the bodies on the site until authorities could make the necessary decisions. 
after they were rescued, the survivors didn't really want to tell anybody that they had to eat people. Yeah, they learned from Dudley and Stevens. Yeah, really get back, can't shut the fuck up about what they did. At least these guys are like, I don't know if we want to tell that part of the story. Yeah, so they claimed they had eaten some cheese and other foods that they had carried with them (laughs) and local plants and herbs. And they were going to discuss like what they really had to do in private with their families, which I feel like is understandable. It's not like I'm going to come out of this and be like, man, bro. I'm not telling anybody. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck that. You ever eaten a rib? No, like a real one. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, after all of this, like it was just a news frenzy. Everybody was just all over this. This was like international. Oh, my God. They survived. Uh, All of their privacy was no longer there. Everything that they did was mapped out in great detail for the entire world to see. Oh, wow. I didn't even read that myself until right this second. One of the fucking news stations printed a picture that showed a half-eaten human leg. Like that is how trash. the fuck you put that on? Like, oh, I hate the news. I hate the news so bad to go through all of that. And that's the picture they use. Like, you can't use like the survivors chilling out. Like, go back and recreate a picture of the dude sipping the cognac on the mountaintop. Don't do the half-eaten fucking human leg. Yeah, like what fucking trash? But that's gonna sell more. Like people are yeah, gonna they're going for the hype of it. Oh my god, can you imagine though? Pieces, oh shit! I swear to God. The survivors themselves held a press conference on the 28th at a college in Montevideo where they recounted the events of the past 72 days. Alfredo Delgado, I don't remember who he was in the crash. I don't know if they made any mention of him, but he spoke for the survivors and compared their actions to that of Jesus Christ at the Last Supper, during which he gave his disciples the Eucharist. All right, so this is when they came out with it, and that's how we led into it. Yeah. This dude starts with, hey, remember how we all like we eat Jesus and then we feel good and we remember sacrifice? So some shit went down <laughs> and that's how this dude got into it. I mean, honestly, it's understandable. They abandoned these motherfuckers after eight days and they had to survive somehow. It said they pretty much got it. There was like some initial backlash to it. But like once people stopped and thought and considered like exactly what they had to go through. And then once that press conference came out where they talked about the distances they walked, what the plane crash was like, you know, all the horrible parts of this. But then everyone's like, okay. All right, that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that that's good. That's okay. It's understandable. You can't shit on them. No. That's interesting in contrast to like Dudley and Stevens going on trial for it, or the Donner Party who just there was no laws. Like, I mean, for them it was understandable because they actually killed somebody. These people didn't actually kill anybody. It's yeah. just you know people died and then they ate them. Fuck that. Parker the cab boy was dead. He knew it. <laughs> yeah. I stand by him. <laughs> I mean, I get it. He was gonna die. They brought everybody back and buried them. Which is nice, but I mean, you know, you could have just looked a little longer than eight days. Well, hold on. They, I don't know if they did bring everybody back and buried him. One guy managed to come back um, and was buried at his own home, but it's uh, it said a lot of them actually, they dug a grave out near the site of the crash. So I got to wonder if they couldn't get him back out of there. Like, do you, you know, you ever see pictures of, like the top of Everest and there's dead bodies laying everywhere? Yeah. Because it's just not even safe to get him back out. It'd be like you'd risk dying trying to get him back out. I wonder if it was like that. Um, could be. But there was the father of one of the victims uh, had received word from a, one of the survivors that the son wanted to be buried at home. So like one of the people who was out there with him must have told this dad, like, hey, your son really wanted to come back home to be buried, which is fucked up because what's that guy supposed to do about it? Yeah. Well, what he did about it was he actually went and tried to obtain official permission to retrieve his son's body, um, but was denied that. So he mounted his own expedition with his own hired guides 
and uh, had apparently prearranged with a priest who had buried his son because they barely dug those mass graves for him there to mark the bag containing his son's remains. So this dude tags this bag with this kid in it. Yeah. And then hands that off to the dad. So he knows what to look for when he's found him. He went back out and he actually obtained the remains and was able to bring them all the way back. Wait, did he like hike? The yeah. Mountain? They said an expedition. I imagine they hiked in. They could have. I, 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 unless they let him charter like a helicopter, but I mean, how many people would even fly up there if it wasn't for like a rescue effort? Wow. If it's that risky to the pilots and I'm the pilot, I'm saying, dude, no, your son's dead. He's staying. Yeah. But I don't assign a lot of importance to like my remains. I don't know if I would care if I was up in the mountains or not. No, I don't think I would really care either. I mean, I'm dead. I'd be more disappointed if I didn't get eaten. If I died and I didn't get eaten like that's. I mean, I'd be fine not getting eaten, to be honest. No, that's kind of poetic, right? And then you go like, you go on to become a part of that other person. Like your cells become their cells. Yeah, but I mean, like. People don't really treat their bodies all that great. At least I try. I don't want to get like, you know, ruined. <laughs> you want to some do partying on yourselves later? Yeah, like come on. <laughs> Survive all that launch to die, get eaten, get put in some other dude, and then he ends up like gonorrhea. Yeah, like no, come on. I'm gonna fight somebody. <laughs> Transitively get gonorrhea after you're dead and eaten. <sighs> well, I thought it was poetic. <laughs> and yeah. That's pretty much it. That is the Uruguayan not miracle flight at fucking all. The trashiest flight ever. Shittiest flight you've ever been on. Yeah, bad fucking review on Yelp. But they did good. I, I think out of all of the people who survived this so far, well, technically, Delvey and Stevens got the best survival rate. Yeah. So they did the best. Um, I don't know. I think the Donner Party was still just out of everything. was fucking nightmarish. That sounds like the work, apart from the falling out of a plane like that, like that was hell on earth every day day after day yeah and it's cold and it's awful i mean these dudes did good though they did they definitely survived and i mean 16 people out of 45 that's decent that's that's better than i do i mean it's like a third and they had fun doing it too Uh, they're they're the only ones so far who've actually been able to enjoy themselves yeah i appreciate a pretty sunset joke around a little bit they got comic books they did have comic books jesus uh, they were aware when the search offer got called off, too. I forgot about that entirely. They had a working radio for the first couple of weeks of this. They couldn't send messages, but they could hear them talking about their search and rescue. And they heard the broadcast when the dude announced they were calling off the search. Yeah, that's awful. How I would have gave up right there. Suck? Well, the one dude made a joke about it. He's like, wow, this is great news. Everyone's like, why the fuck is that great news? He's like, well, now we got to get ourselves out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, crew. Let's get it done. I guess you're not like holding out hope for something that's not going to happen. I would kill that dude on the fucking spot. Like, <laughs> bro, not funny. He's the first one getting eaten. <laughs> yeah. So how do you feel about the uh, the Uruguayans, even though we pronounce like all the things wrong? All of them. 72 days is a long time. But you know what? They did it in a more moral, okay way. If you're gonna be a cannibal, <laughs> at least they weren't just at least they were just like, you know what? Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's, uh, the Donners are killing each other. They're like stashing their belongings in gold afterward. Like it was real fucking real old Westy out there for that. That was just that one guy. It wasn't all of them. It was just that one I douche. bet there's a few other shifty ones. I'm sure. Barbaric lady love. They were moving across. They were moving. I don't even to California from across the fucking America. I don't know. Listen, not ideal. All those people were fucking <laughs> yeah. And look well, what they did to each other. Yeah. These people were at least like, you know what? If one of us dies, I want you to take me as nutrient. 
<laughs> it's know? okay. Yeah, it's okay. Like you can eat me. At least that's nice. But 72 yeah. days is a long ass time. I wish they were there for a long time before they were like, we should probably start moving somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't really because of the snow. Yeah, I think they said when they got out of the plane, they, it was still a fucking blizzard out there. Yeah, that was trash. Like literally everything that could go wrong went wrong. Yep. Oh my God. It never got better. Like there was never a, a, a glimmer or a part of the story where it just went up. It was just continuously. Oh shit. Seven for seven. Yeah. Oh my, oh my God. God. She's a monster. <laughs> Even I didn't know about this skill. This is so entertaining. <laughs> That's the best hit percentage I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, I worked in kitchens. We snap supplies. Shit, I can't kill a bug to save my life. Well, I think I got all of them. No, it's never all of them. I know. <laughs> There's always like four more. They just like come out in groves. They'll wait till you sit down to chill and they'll just be bopping against your eyelid. I know. It's always just right for the eye. me. Oh. We know you don't have to deal with fruit flies. It's in the Andes Mountains. So mm-hmm. if you're looking at vacation, I got a good spot for you. Um, That resort sounds sweet though, right? Yeah, the resort 13 miles away in the hot spring. And they hiked 23 to get out. Yeah, they definitely could have made it there. I mean, not all of them, but, you know. Hindsight 2020. Yeah. We got the maps and the GPS location, but, like, they could only last as long as they had people to keep them lasting. Yeah, but I think the good thing is the time of it that happened because, like, people were still more self-sufficient in the 70s. Yeah. Whereas now, like, if you gave me a map, I'm not finding my way out. Like I couldn't even read my college school map and it had like names of buildings on it. I mean, they know this city's probably this compass direction. This city's probably this compass direction. But once you're at the top of that mountain, looking at nothing but other mountains, I think all you can do is, all right, well, that way looks more down than this way. I just keep going down. It's the best I'm doing if I'm out there. Yeah. So um, if you like us, like us on our Facebook group at Wine Wicked Crimes and Cat Moms Oh My. Or follow us on our Instagram at Cat Moms Oh My Podcast. You can, I don't even know why we keep saying the Twitter. I don't know. We have a Twitter, guys. I don't know. You can like it. You <laughs> Does can anybody like talk it. about Twitter anymore? I'm, I'm, not, I'm just not a tweeter. Like, I've never yeah. been a tweeter. I think. Maybe I used to when I was younger and I would just complain about things. I'm sure if I went back and found my old Twitter, it'd be just be very teen angsty. I hate you. I hate everything. Ah, life is awful. Would you even still be able to find it? I don't I don't know. I I'm not sure. I yeah, think, mom's MySpace. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Twitter. Cat mom's oh my pod. <laughs> the at sign in front of it. Motherfucker, there's one more. Oh. Don't worry, lady love. That dude ain't gonna be alive for long. <laughs> now that's what you said and focus on own shit. You seven for seven, forget it. <laughs> I know. Or you can email us at catmoms2 at yahoo.com. Yeah. Oh, I said I was gonna do that this time too. Ah, it's okay. Next time. Next time. <laughs> We got the intro next time in the email. Or you can follow us on our Patreon. Guys, I'm sorry I've been a piece of shit about posting things. I'm working on it, okay? I'm working on it. I have migraines. This has been a struggle for me. <laughs> I got a leaky garage. Um, <laughs> oh, poor lady love. <laughs> but 
hoping that you can join us on our Patreon at our $1 level or our $5 level and you hear things. We talk about stuff. I mean, I posted my one outtakes this mm-hmm. last week, whatever week. I don't know. I posted one and um, I think that was pretty fucking hilarious. So imagine what you could hear. Uh, so, <laughs> so follow us. Get behind the scenes on Lead Loves at patreon.com forward slash cat moms oh my and i keep totally forgetting to do this but you can also hear me on my other podcast with Krius, who is on here every once in a blue yeah. uh, called tube time and we talk about tv shows even though i don't really watch tv all that much yeah. but i'm still equally as offended by things as i am on here so <laughs> yeah mainly love <laughs> 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 go listen to lady love and manly love on their podcast yeah and joe thank you for coming Dude, again. thank you for having me again i've loved doing these thank you for coming on hold you. on hold on oh. we're not ending this thing oh, at this oh, last oh, one. Oh, i know it's like coming close to me i'm just waiting for it to like get in that right spot so i can it knows you're watching it. you can't watch it I know. It's like flying near my head, too. Like, God, I'm getting tensed up over here. <laughs> I know. Because it has to be in, like, the right spot for me to, like... Ah! Oh, bam! Eight for eight. <laughs> wow. So <laughs> All right. Leave it. You got to leave it on the desk. I'm telling you. You got to send the message. Oh, I just... Ew, smear it off. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Fuck around and find out, flies. I know. Ninja. Mm. But yeah, so we'll see Joe probably when you come in, Lady Love, because you know, I'm gonna actually do some res some good research on a female serial killer, because I did in fact promise our one listener Beth that I would do a female serial killer a while ago. I didn't forget. I'm just, you know, struggling. So <laughs> we will see you next week, most likely, hopefully. I'm trying here, guys. So <laughs> good night. Bye. See y'all.